Good morning again. So our topic today, if, if you couldn't tell by the table, prop, sermon prop, um, is Eucharist. Uh, Eucharist means Thanksgiving, so it seems like that would be an appropriate thing. Although, uh, I was kind of using one particular text, particular um, ecclesiology textbook, to kind of guide me through this series, The Community of the Gospelized. Um, this is a series is, that has been on the church, and I kind of used it actually fitting that the last chapter in the book actually was Eucharist, or Communion Mass, the Lord's Supper. Three quick images that um, are kind of my favorite moments uh, the, uh, of three, three um, specific things that come to mind. One was just last night, by the way. Uh, last night, so the, the St. Hilda's had their final service, and, and I was on the, on the worship team. And um, so I needed to kind of like uh, get from where I was playing the guitar over here over to the corner real quick to, to during the Eucharist when everybody comes forward and they do the Eucharist up here. Um, and so... I, I get all the way in the corner, and um, the the lady, uh, with uh, with communion uh, with with the with the cup came by, but I hadn't yet had the the bread, and I said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I haven't had the bread yet." And she said, "That's okay, it counts for both, which is fine theologically. You know, great one." one. Didn't know is that I'm a germaphobe. And I have never once put my lips on that cup. <laughs> because you have, without the, without the, the little piece of cracker, uh, you know, you're supposed to like, you know, I dip it in, it's called intinction. Um, so uh, I wasn't able to do that. So I actually had this during this last communion uh, that I actually had to, uh, you know, drink from the cup, which is cool. My second, um, yeah, it's fine. It was like, oh, thanks. Um, so the second thing is, uh, uh, sorry, am I going in and out? Sorry about that. Maybe I need to stand over here. Are we okay now? So uh, years ago, um, the morning after uh, Matthew and Amy Winter were married, we had a communion service where they actually came uh, in their wedding garb, uh, in their tuxedo, Matt in his tuxedo, and Amy in her wedding dress. Because after all, what communion is, it's an anticipation of a wedding feast. Um, and that was just one of the most, as I talk to people about their favorite day at New Hope, that is commonly one of the things that, that stick out most often is the day that Matthew and Amy served communion in their, their wedding dress. Um, what's that? Wedding cake and champagne. Wedding cake and champagne. And then, of course, my third favorite moment of, uh, of communion at New Hope uh, was um, the, the Sunday that, that Jason Poling uh, served communion with Steve Chastain, uh, Jason in his Joe Flacco jersey, and Steve in his Steelers jersey. And it wasn't that just a picture of the table. So this is the last week of our series, The Community of the Gospelized. In this series, we've been trying to consider the various aspects of what it means to be the church, what it means to be a church, what it means to be New Hope Community Church, if you follow me. We've talked about the truth that 
Church, as it was initiated by Jesus, is by definition an ecclesia, a gathering, an assembly, a community, not merely an organization or an institution or a building. Now, organizational infrastructure and brick-and-mortar facility and the need for specified leadership roles uh, can all be good things, but they will only help to serve the community. See, I think if you have an ice cream stand, it makes sense that you wouldn't get more excited about ordering the ice cream than you would uh, about handing it to a child. No, we are served by structure. We are not defined by it. Instead, we are defined by the confession that Jesus is Lord. So everything that we do, everything that we are, flows from the conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There are lots of things that we could have talked about over the course of this series. I'll admit that there were lots of things, if we were doing a complete and comprehensive breakdown of the church and its ecclesiology, that we probably should have talked about. And I I don't think we talked nearly enough about worship. Uh, We didn't really talk specifically about the role that the Bible plays in our community. We didn't really talk about church governance, governance. We didn't talk about church history. There was one week that we talked about hospitality, and it was interesting that I had several conversations with folks who sort of had this kind of weird look on their face, like, you know what? I just realized that hospitality is really important. How has this not come up more often? So if we didn't get to the topic that you were hoping for, um, as far as the church is concerned, um, I hope that it will come in time. We're not going to get very far as a church without talking about things like why we worship. The topics I did choose, I chose because I sensed that our body needed clarity on them for this particular season. Still, we may never stop learning. May we never stop learning about what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. So today, however, at this table, as we gather at this table, it's kind of a catch-all. It's a catch-all theologically. It's a catch-all practically. Today's topic is the Mass, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Communion, Uh, The bulletin tells you that we'll be preaching from Mark 26 today, so please turn your Bibles to Mark 14. Jesus has come, yeah, that was a joke, because it was a joke, I'm sorry. I do want you to turn to Mark 14. We're going to get to Matthew 26. Jesus has come to Jerusalem with his disciples, and they are preparing for the Passover meal. So right away, The context is rich with symbolism. Passover is the Hebrew feast where the Jewish people remember their redemption and their rescue from Egyptian slavery. It's the day where they are reminded that God's covenant faithfulness, they were reminded of God's covenant faithfulness throughout the generations. And it would have been um, something that had serious meaning during these years when Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. The Passover was of crucial importance for the people of Israel because it reminded them that God hears the cry of His people. So they gathered around this table to feast, to fellowship, to remember. Do you feel lost today? Do you feel like God has forgotten you? Do you feel somehow permanently broken? The Passover is a meal that that you have with those you care most about in the world in order to remind each other that you aren't the first person to feel that way and you certainly aren't the last. 
Passover as a meal that acknowledges that, yes, darkness is going to rear its ugly head in different ways in each generation, but on and on and on throughout history, God isn't finished. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the darkness, we, out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. God is healer. Our God is awesome in power. Our God, our God. But Pharaoh, but, but Caesar, but Egypt, but Rome, but the empire, God is greater. God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. But divorce, but addiction, but war, but hate, our, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. But betrayal, you see, you don't know how much I've been hurt. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There is no one like our God. Remember, Jesus calls the disciples around the table. This is rich with context. It's not a coincidence that Mark records the following detail. Mark 14, beginning in verse 17. When it was evening, he came with the, he, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table, people didn't sit in chairs, they reclined. As they were reclining at the table and e- eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? Isn't it interesting how at other parts of the Bible there may have said, no, 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 Lord, it wouldn't be me. It wouldn't be me. It's not going to be me. Surely it's not me. But here it's interesting that Mark actually records that they are all looking around going, yeah, it probably could have been me. And he said to them, is it one of the, tw- it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Sharp words for a betrayal that must have cut deep. Judas didn't just follow Jesus. He was one of the twelve. He was one of his disciples. Imagine the idea of knowing Jesus, actually listening to his words, that he's speaking to you in real time, sitting with him, maybe in the shade of a tree, feeling the embrace of his hug. You and I might say that if we had the chance to have a conversation with Jesus, maybe our doubt might be gone. Maybe our anxiety might be cooled. But evidently, even after years with Jesus, Judas Iscariot not only chose a path of doubt, he chose a path of betrayal. Earlier in the chapter, we learned that Judas had gone to the chief priests and conspired with them to betray Jesus by telling authorities where to find Jesus when he wasn't surrounded by the crowds. In that moment, Jesus does something very unexpected. You see, if we were watching a mafia movie or a, or a western, now might be the time when Judas is killed for the betrayer that he is. But Jesus does something far different than that. I'm reading into the text, but I have to imagine that in that moment, Jesus thought of just how important his mission was. Perhaps he thought of just how deeply sin affects the people that he loved so much. He chose that moment to give them something 
that, that would help them to remember that, yeah, at the Passover meal, he chooses this moment to, to give them something to help them to remember that God remains faithful. Remember, our God is healer. Our God is awesome in power. Our God, our God, I mean, you and I might know what's coming but how radical was this moment? How revolutionary was Jesus' next move that it would echo throughout the generations of Christ's one holy Catholic and apostolic church all the way to the cross and resurrection that was to come all the way through the early church, all the way through the dark ages when so much of humanity gave up on your humanity, all the way through the Middle Ages, through the Renaissance, through the expansion of the gospel, through the new world and beyond, to the ends of the earth, to this very room on this very day. As they were eating, Mark continues in verse 22. He took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it, and he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until, I, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. These words of institution began a tradition of profound significance. Jesus takes this moment of Passover, this moment of the Passover meal, to say something about himself. They may have been, they might have been used. They might have been used to eating the Passover meals that reminding them of God's covenant faithfulness. But now it appears that Jesus has the audacity to put Himself into the story. And this holy meal that they're sharing together, it is the holy meal that Jesus now says, "This is my body." You know, it wouldn't surprise me if one day. When my eyes are wiped of their tears by my Savior forever, and I see the world that God has created for what it really is, I think that there is going to be a handful of things that held far more power than I ever gave credit to. Things that we might view, things that I view merely as just a part of this world, but we so often look right past these simple things that are a part of our day, and we miss that in this thing that was in, right in front of us the whole time was something so powerful, more powerful than, than any words could actually use as, to describe it. I think music is one of those things. I think sex is another one of those things. Power, money are those things. If you like uh, sex, power, and money, by the way, uh, the beginning of this next new year, we're going to do a three-week series called Surrender. Three weeks, sex, power, and money, surrender. Topics for other days, but here I think that the absolute miraculous nature of a shared meal is what is worth thinking about. Think about the power of food. I think there is a great vulnerability when it comes to sitting down at a table with loved ones. Sure, the conversation could go nowhere. It often does. Sometimes it's a simply a recount of what happened in your day, and I think that alone is far more important than we often get credit to. 
If something is of minor significance that happened in your day, you, you might choose that moment to recount it to loved ones. And isn't it interesting that at a dinner table, at a table, others are helping you process this event. I know it seems like such a little thing, but I think um, that meals, at meals, if we're paying attention, we actually learn a little bit about ourselves and we learn a little bit more about each other. The meal is such a holy moment. Eucharist, it means thanksgiving, which is one of the reasons I thought it was fitting to talk about it today. And I spent some time this week reviewing the uh, history of what we commonly refer to as the first thanksgiving. Documentaries are quick to point out how much of what we have been taught about that event was probably just sensationalized myth. And then it's at that point that the documentaries attempt to tell you the truth, and you learn just how dark the story is, was. But the thing that struck me as I watched a few of them this year was that I found myself not minding the mythology. It's been said that any story worth telling is worth embellishing. The central idea that the Plymouth Colony celebrated a harvest by giving thanks to God who had seen them through a remarkably dark season by sending help from an unlikely place is a tradition that, yeah, I want to be a part of. The problem, it appears to me, is when we step away from a posture of gratitude and step into one of entitlement and pride and greed, for it is in those things that has led our country to its darkest chapters. But a posture of gratitude, a posture of Eucharist, gratitude from my God who is faithful, who is awesome in power, who is healer, thanksgiving for the grace that He has shown to me. That, that I can get behind. We read Mark's account. We read Mark's account a few moments ago, but I think Matthew and Luke add some details that are worth mentioning. Matthew tags, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He says, for the forgiveness of sins. So first and foremost, this feast is a gospel feast. Uh, the word gospel or euangelion means good news. Jesus' entire ministry was a proclamation of this good news. And I love this definition of the gospel. The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again according to the Scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. When the gospel is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace, leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. That's what we gather around the table to remind each other of. In short, the gospel says that you have a place at God's table. Jesus' body has been broken for you. Jesus' blood has been spilled for you. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave. There is worship, see, at this table. See, there is discipleship at this table. You see how it's kind of a catch-all. Luke adds a couple of things as well. One of them is that after Jesus broke the bread and handed it to his disciples, he adds the line, do this in remembrance of me. Now, do you remember what we said earlier about the Passover? Passover was a time when the Jews were supposed to remember the Exodus. They were supposed to remember Moses. They were supposed to remember God's covenant faithfulness and their identity as God's chosen people. After Jesus conquers the grave, Jesus is going to send his apostles out to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations, 
This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This table isn't just about you being forgiven from your sins. This table isn't just about you getting right vertically with your Creator. Praise God that it is about that. This table is also about the work that God is going to be doing through you, His new covenant people, horizontally. You see, there is koinonia at this table. There's holy fellowship. There's justice at this table. There's desiring for others what you want for yourself. There is mission at this table. There is evangelism at this table. Uh, Paul tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You see, just as the ground is level at the foot of the cross, the Lord's table is a place of radical inclusion. There is a passage in 1 Corinthians where that verse Um, where that verse is taken from, where Paul talks about how everyone should examine themselves before they come to the Lord's table. And and lots of preachers over the years have taken that verse and kind of used it as an opportunity to condemn folks who who take communion with kind of unconfessed sin. And don't don't get me wrong, I, I think the confession of sin is really, 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 really important, but I don't think that was Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 11. One commentator puts it like this, the problem at the Corinthian meal was serious, and Paul make the point, was making the point that whatever meal that they thought they were having, it sure wasn't the Lord's Supper. It's become just another meal at Corinth that reinforces social divisions between rich and poor. The problem is that the practice of the Corinthians fosters divisions between the classes because of the rich members despising the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing. Basically, the wealthier members went ahead and ate a meal in full festivity in the fanciest part of the house, leaving no room for the poor members. And these poorer folks, who were probably slaves and artisans and day laborers, who turned up later in the day, were only given the scraps and were probably made to dine in another part of the house. You go over there. Paul is saying, friends, if we can't love our neighbors here, if we can't love our neighbors at the Lord's table, how on earth are you going to do it out there? The wealthy Corinthians were treating the poor just like they would have been treated at any other table in the ancient world. The thing is, at the Lord's table, everybody has a place. Now, there's lots more we could say about communion. There's lots more we could talk about in regards to the theology of it, the way that the different uh, denominations around the world the different parts of the different corners of Christ's church um, have viewed it. Uh, there's lots that could be said about the presence and lots that could be said about who should administer communion and all of that. And if I actually spent a good bit of my week studying that, and I just like, I didn't want to focus on that this morning. If you want to talk to me about that later on, about how New Hope does communion, I'd love to talk to you about it, about how we go about choosing which days we, we, we celebrate it. But Now, today I just wanted us to focus on that idea that at the Lord's table, everybody has a place. So we're going to close our time together today with communion, with the Mass, with the Eucharist, with the Lord's Supper. And our communion table at New Hope is open to all who confess Jesus as Lord, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, Listen carefully. If you're not there, 
If you haven't yet made the decision to follow Christ, you need to know that we love you. We want you to be welcome here. We want you to think of New Hope as a place where you can come not having to hide your doubts or your questions. When we take communion, you shouldn't feel obligated to participate. Feel free to just have a few moments of silence in your seat. I will add this, though, that communion is one of two sacraments that Jesus instituted, the other being baptism. Baptism is a public declaration of your faith. While we might say that communion sustains our faith, baptism proclaims it. So if you decide to come forward for communion and you have yet to be baptized, that's okay. But I'll ask you to consider coming to me later to discuss the possibility of making a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. The bread is unleavened. There's also gluten-free crackers that is lovingly prepared, by the way. Our bread each week, is, uh, each time we do communion, is lovingly prepared by our own Alicia Poling. The red is wine. The white is grape juice. And after coming forward, I'll ask you to take the elements back to your seats where we will partake them together. First, though, we'll ask that everyone please stand and join as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed. Matthew tells us in his gospel that now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now may the grace and peace of God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sustain you at his holy table. Grace and peace, my friends.